postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Welcome to Breathful Mighty Parent or Parent-to-Be. I'm Adriana Lozada, and we've got a truly insightful birth story for you today as we continue with our Care Provider series. So my guest is Heather Lauf, whose initial preparation for birth was sadly cut short as she experienced a miscarriage. The whole experience was heartbreaking and compounded by her rude awakening to the shortfalls of the perinatal system and Western medicine in general. So then for her next pregnancy, Heather dug deep into the information and the resources available to her to make sure she understood her options and that her choices were aligned with her wishes. So much so that, in fact, she ended up switching providers twice. And in this series, we've definitely been focusing on the value of finding the care provider that's right for you. That's a foundational piece for sure. But Heather's experience also reminded me that if we're looking at birth as a physiological process, which is what we always do here at Birthful, then when you're feeling observed, your thinking brain gets activated and that can disrupt the whole labor process. Now, this does not mean that then your labor is forever derailed. Heather's story has a great example of how she identified the issue and dealt with it so that she could get back to birthing. I also want you to know that not every case is created equal. In my experience, birthing people have no problem being surrounded by those that they feel are helping them do the work. Like, for example, their partner, their doula, their trusted care provider, or a nurse that they connected with. And this is because, in the words of the fabulous Michelle Adant, these people are not creating an attention-enhancing situation that is stimulating neocortical activity in the birthing person. So they're not activating the thinking person's brain. But if at any point in your birth you feel observed, then you may need to politely ask the observers to step out or have someone else get them out of your line of sight so that then you can get back to your birthing. It's just a mammalian thing. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Heather. It is so great to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me, Adriana. Yeah, and thank you for wanting to, t- to share your story, your birth story. I'm really looking forward to hearing it. So let's think back to when you were pregnant, when you first found out. What were your wishes? What were your thoughts about birth and where you wanted, how you wanted this experience to unfold? Yeah. Well, when I first found out that I was pregnant, I had really already had quite a bit of time to think about that, um, which may be a little bit unusual. I had gotten pregnant the first time, but had an early miscarriage. And uh, unfortunately, that took place in a hospital ER, and it was a very (laughs) unpleasant experience, to say the least. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. But anyways, I I guess that after that, uh, I had some kind of ongoing health issues that resulted in a very long trip through the traditional medical system, I guess you could say. And coming out of that, I mean, many of the experiences I had with those hospitals and centers and doctors I worked with were great, but also many parts of that were not really what I expected. And I guess you could say almost sort of traumatizing. I think I had a lot of confidence and trust in the medical world before that happened, before those things happened to me. But I came out of that with a very different perspective. So I also gained kind of a sense that some things really just can't be explained or fixed by Western medicine. So my situation is not maybe very typical. I had a year and a half to really learn a lot more about pregnancy and birth and kind of the care options that were available in my area. 
So I ended up interviewing and switching to a different OB. So this was one who I had heard from from friends that was generally thought of as more natural minded in our particular area. And that was what I was hoping for. And through talking to a friend who had recently recently had a successful VBAC, I met the person who would later I would later choose to be my doula. She hosts a monthly group called The Birth Circle. And in that group, moms share their birth stories every month. I started to attend it regularly, even though I wasn't even pregnant yet. <laughs> but I just loved hearing the moms telling their stories. And I just wondered, you know, when would my time come <laughs> to do that? Uh, I was able to learn a lot from them by listening to their stories, just the choices they'd made, why they'd made those choices. And really, that's a huge reason why I wanted to share my story and kind of give back in that same way to other people. So this was the first time I ever heard about things like the business of being born, <laughs> VBACs, doulas, and even th- things like out-of-hospital birth. Yeah. Um, and it sounds yeah. like it was an experience to soak in all the different possibilities and options and just general knowledge about what birth is like. So it's a little bit of a detoxing of the basic medical Western notions that we tend to only, you know, be portrayed in the media and that we tend to learn about. Yes, definitely. I think I really learned a lot more about different options and not just defaulting basically to, you know, your standard kind of thing. Uh, So I guess my thoughts really were to have an unmedicated vaginal birth. And I kind of assumed though, it actually still that I would give birth in the hospital, which is funny because I heard all these home birth stories really and other other stories, but I, I just thought that, well, home birth wasn't what I wanted to pursue or what my husband wanted to pursue either. And I really thought that was kind of the only other option in our area. I'm the oldest of four kids and my mom had had four unmedicated hospital births with midwives. So I knew that that was possible and my mom had done it. <laughs> so I, I kind of had that feeling in my corner. So then you connected with this OB and did you stay with that OB? What happened? Well, I, we did end up switching because of some conversations that I had with my doula and with other moms at the birth circle. There actually had been a brand new birth center. So this is actually the very first freestanding birth center in Illinois outside of the Chicago area. And it had just opened six months ago at that point in my pregnancy. It was about an hour away, actually, from where we live. So I guess I kind of assumed that I couldn't go there. I wouldn't go there. I thought it was too far away, which now seems so silly because it was totally worth it. (laughs) So we decided, my husband and I decided to go to take a tour of it after my doula kind of said, well, what about, what about going to the birth center? She just kind of presented it like, hmm, this is an option for you. Um, So we took a tour to get a feel and ask our questions. And it was just, it just felt so right. The staff there were so personable. It's a beautiful birth center. It feels so comfortable and homey too. There's like a big shared kitchen. There are three birth suites. You get to pick which one is kind of your first choice. The center is owned by two OBs, but they don't provide any of the care there. All the care is provided by midwives. The midwives do all the prenatal visits. They attend all the births. This birth, this particular center was also very, very close to the hospital that they work with for transfers. So that made us feel comfortable kind of knowing they have a clear process for transfers and that it's very close by. So in my mind, it kind of had all the advantages 
of a birth center style birth, yet the hospital was basically five minutes away if we needed it for some reason. So how far along were you in your pregnancy then when you found out about the birth center and switched? I was 15 weeks when I had my first midwife appointment there. Okay, so still quite early. Yes. (laughs) And then once you had your doula, the birth center, had midwives, was there anything else you added to that preparation? Yes, we did prenatal education courses at the birth center, which was great because we actually got to kind of prepare or practice the comfort measures in the actual place where we'd be giving birth, which is very cool. I also prepared for breastfeeding, which I felt was was really an important step. I was kind of like hesitant about that or just didn't think I would need to, but then I'm really glad that I took the steps that I did. What were those steps? I took a additional breastfeeding course at a hospital that the midwives recommended. And I also asked my doula and some other friends for recommendations of an IBCLC to kind of have ready sort of on call for me. She suggested coming while I was still pregnant to one of her free group meetings that she has twice a month in her office. So it's just breastfeeding moms and she kind of walks around to the moms and helps and assists. And it's just a good way to kind of see breastfeeding in action, which is something that we don't typically see in our society and culture. No, and so incredibly important. I'm really glad you took those steps and did. I wish everybody would do that. Set up their IBCLC, go sit in a group and see other people breastfeeding. You learn so much with those little encounters. Oh, absolutely. That was probably one of the best things I did, honestly, to prepare. I was 36 weeks pregnant when I went to it and I got to see like a weighed feeding being done. And just, I felt so comfortable with my IBCLC before I even had my baby. So I was excited to work with her and I felt very confident about that. Can you explain quickly what a weighed feeding is? Because I'm sure that people, if they haven't had it done or seen it, no idea what that means. Yes. Um, So, well, at least how she did it, she had a digital scale And so before breastfeeding them, you weigh the baby, she records that weight, then you go feed them maybe just one side, and then you weigh the baby again, she records that weight, and then she calculates how many ounces the baby transferred during that feeding. So you get to see exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it is so cool, I find, because their their scales tend to be hypersensitive, right? You're measuring ounces and and partial ounces, because babies don't eat that much, especially newborns. But it's so cool to see and and so validating and rewarding. Like, you weighed my baby, I fed my baby, you weighed him again. And look, that's all milk. Yeah, it was really, it's really cool that you can do that. And like, literally each side, you can see what each side they're transferring from. Oh, so cool. So fast forward to when labor started, did you know it was labor starting? How did that feel? Oh, yes. So my estimated due date was on a Sunday and that day came and went, as it often does for a first time mom. I was kind of prepared for that to happen mentally and then also kind of not. Uh, I was born on the day before my due date. So I guess I was kind of hoping for something like that. But that's just not how it went down. I had a 40 week midwife appointment that Wednesday and we, we went to that one. I had decided not to have a vaginal check done because I had heard from so many birth stories on, actually on this podcast, I forgot to mention I listened to this podcast most of my pregnancy too. I love it. My doula recommended it. But anyways, um, 
I felt like I would fall into the category of the fixating on a number. So (laughs) fixating on a vaginal check number. So I decided that I would not want that done. And part of my intentions for the birth was to not really have many vaginal checks done. I guess a quick side note is that I was fairly concerned about having a large baby because I weighed nearly nine pounds when I was born and my husband weighed like nine and a half pounds. So I purposely didn't have a third trimester ultrasound because I just didn't want to hear a weight estimate of the baby. I feel like I would fixate on that and then that would kind of, I don't know, intimidate me or bring doubts into my head. So I just kept asking my midwife each week, how big did she think the baby was going to be <laughs> at birth, just based on feeling mm-hmm. the baby? And she, her, their estimates never really changed. They're kind of like, yeah, it's normal size baby, probably between eight and seven, eight pounds. This is going to come into play later. <laughs> so anyways, okay. that, <laughs> that evening, this is still Wednesday, I was just hanging out on the couch and I stood up and I felt a gush of fluid. I was like, oh, did my water just break? I haven't been having any contractions. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I called my doula. She said I should just let the midwife know. She said since I wasn't having any contractions, I should just go to bed that night like normal. And we would plan to have me come into the birth center the next early the next morning to see what was going on. I was just so nervous that night. I could barely sleep. I was just I was really worried. This just wasn't how I kind of envisioned labor starting and just knowing that I was probably, quote unquote, on a clock. Um, I would need to be in active labor within 24 hours in order to continue with the birth center. So that's kind of their protocol. But anyways, we got up at 5 a.m. and got there by 7 a.m. on Thursday. And I still wasn't having any contractions. (laughs) Oh, such a bummer. I remember there was this, just this beautiful sunrise and we were driving directly east. But all I could think was this is just not how I envisioned the drive to the birth center um, going down. So we got in there and my midwife said that she would need to do a test to make sure that that was amniotic fluid that had come out since it was just kind of a leak and not a big obvious water break. So she had this piece of paper that she was using to test the fluid. It was supposed to turn a certain color if it was amniotic fluid, but it was not turning that color, no matter kind of how, how much she tried. She even ended up doing a cervical check, trying to get some of the fluid (laughs) to put on this paper. And that was so uncomfortable, which Mm. really surprised me. And they do that just so amniotic fluid has, it's a pH test, like paper. So um, that's why it needs to turn to a certain color. Amniotic fluid has a very distinct pH, very different from urine, say, or from general like vaginal fluid. So that's why they test it that way. Oh, that's okay. Cool. I missed that part, I guess, or I was not paying attention. That's neat. Anyways, it turned out I wasn't dilated at all. And I was like maybe 50% effaced. And that it just kept not changing. So she said, well, it's also possible that this isn't amniotic fluid. So she did a test of it under a slide, Mm -hmm. which I guess is like she said, kind of the definitive test. Yeah, that's the Mm -hmm. next step. They do the paper first and then they do the slide. Yeah. And they and and like this is at a hospital's OBs. Like this is the standard way that I've seen and heard for anybody. Okay. Yeah. So she went to do that test and I was just so nervous. Like, well, maybe there's a chance that it wasn't. Actually, the water, I didn't want to get my hopes up. It was going to be a rough road ahead if it if it was. Well, she came back and it's and it definitely wasn't. So that was great. We got to go back home, carry on as normal. 
So false alarm. (laughs) Well, and you know what? I've seen that before. And I'm so glad you are sharing that because it's one of those variations and normals that you don't expect, right? Mm -hmm. And especially since you felt that gush, you're like, this has to be it. But maybe baby just pressed on your bladder weird or who knows, right? Probably. (laughs) So what a relief in a way that it wasn't your amniotic fluid because nothing was happening and, you know things were looking a little hairy for a second there. Oh, yeah. I was just so glad. Yeah. So I, I felt like I had gotten a second chance. <laughs> and and so then when did things actually start happening or what happened next, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Well, part of the plan I'd made with my midwife on that Wednesday was that I was going to go get two rounds of acupuncture before my next appointment, which was going to be on Monday. So the first round was on Friday morning. It was with the chiropractor that I had been going to throughout pregnancy who was doing Webster technique for me. So she also did acupuncture. I was a little nervous about it because I had never gotten it done before, but I was really willing to try a few more things at that point, especially after kind of that water break scare. Did you love it? I did. It was so lovely. I I got super relaxed sitting there once everything was in and I was just kind of hanging out by myself. Yeah, it was really nice. I I surprised myself by enjoying it. So yeah, I enjoyed that that morning. Then I went home and I ended up taking kind of this long walk up a giant hill. (laughs) Maybe not the best idea, but I thought that might help things get things going. That night I started having some light contractions, nothing regular. Went to bed, kind of hoped to be woken up. No, no luck. They, They stopped at some point. So now it's Saturday morning. It's the weekend. My husband's home. We have no plans, of course, because you don't have plans at that point. We kind of want to do something. We're getting a little stir crazy. So we end up going to this home improvement type of store and just walk around looking at everything and talk about redoing our kitchen floor. So my husband decides he's going to go ahead and start that little project now, which apparently I was okay with at the time, which is hilarious. So we bought all this flooring and the things we needed to put this floor down. So he starts working on that at home and I was like cleaning and basically our couples nesting, which is kind of funny. That night I started having contractions again. So I just kind of, I don't know, just tried to go to bed. I couldn't fall. I just couldn't fall asleep. So I went out to the couch. Things seemed like they were kind of picking up, but I really didn't know if I should time them or not. I just, I think I got really excited. <laughs> I should have just gone to bed. I called my poor doula at like three or four in the morning. She's like, just go to sleep. Please go to sleep. Get some rest. I'm like, okay, I'm that person. (laughs) No, but I totally understand. Like my heart goes out to when I get that call because I know that you just want things to happen. You want to do something. You want to like make it happen and not quite understanding that actually the best thing you could do for it is fall asleep because then you're shutting down your thinking brain you're gaining energy you're like letting the body do its thing but it's so hard it's so hard yes it is so hard but I'm so glad I did go to sleep because I got probably five or six hours that night and I was gonna I was gonna need it (laughs) we'll just say that so I woke up that next morning this is Sunday morning 9 a.m. I was having a contraction it's like wow okay that's probably actually stronger than what I was feeling last night awesome And they kept happening every 10 minutes or so. Very manageable, definitely early labor stuff. We decided to kind of follow the advice of my doula, go about our normal day as much as possible. I think we went to the grocery store, went out to eat, 
I remember standing in the grocery store line thinking, oh boy, I really hope my water doesn't like break right in here or something. It didn't. <laughs> we went back home. That afternoon, I kind of set up like a like a labor cave for myself, I would call it, in, in our living room with the lights down, candles, my birth ball. I just kind of went back and forth from the couch and the birth ball. Uh, my husband, the whole, this whole time, is working on our kitchen floor still trying to get that done. And things were definitely... I don't know, just getting a little bit more intense gradually. I was kind of timing and recording things old school because I just prefer to look at it that way instead of with an app. And at about 4, 4 p.m. that afternoon, I had a stronger contraction. I decided to go kind of look at my paper and see whether things were actually getting like stronger and closer like I was feeling. And I stood up to lean over the table and my that's when my water definitely broke. Like it was unmistakable. It was just that giant gush. There's no doubt about what just happened <laughs> that time. <laughs> so I was pretty excited. So I called my midwife and my doula. My midwife said, there's no rush, but you can head over to the birth center whenever you want. I kind of wanted to. I wasn't sure how far along I was. And I think I kind of wanted to believe I was farther along because my water had broken. <laughs> Anyway, we took our time getting ready. I hopped in the shower. Um, we drove over to the birth center, the hour drive. And I, at this point, I started getting a little worried because my contractions had kind of spaced out. They weren't as strong as they had been, but they did kind of pick up again in the last 20 minutes or so in the car. Uh, I think we got there at about maybe 6.30 or 7. And the birth suite that I had chosen was prepared. It was lovely. There were essential oils already diffusing. The lights were dimmed. It was just very cozy and nice. So she needed to check me to see if I was far enough along to stay there. And I was really nervous about knowing that particular information. <laughs> uh, and I hoped I was actually in active labor. Well, I was three centimeters, 90% effaced, and he was at a negative two station. And I was pretty disappointed. I felt almost embarrassed that we had driven there already. I really wanted to labor at home longer, but kind of lost that part of the plan. She said that we, I would need to be four centimeters for us to be able to kind of stay and labor there. She said we could walk around for the next hour or so, and then she could check me again. So we did that. <laughs> I remember her saying the hardest centimeter was getting from three to four. <laughs> I don't know why. But. It's those first, it's like, it's just the getting you into active labor. That, yeah. that it's like a leap. Because once you go from early to active, sort of your body takes over. And it's, it, and, and then you, as a doula, you're like, okay, can we get it to take over? Can we get it to, you know, when's this going to happen? And when it happens, you're like, yes, now it's just downhill. It's like a roller coaster. You're going up, 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 up. And then suddenly you're going down into it, right? Yeah. And it just, oh. You're along for the ride, usually, usually. <laughs> and that's the case, usually. Yeah. Yeah. So we we did kind of just walk around, and I actually started to feel really nauseous during that time. And I did throw up in their lovely kitchen sink. I felt so, <laughs> I felt so bad, but I, they had uh, somebody's, like, coffee mug was in there, oddly enough. And I remember I, I did take it out. Like, actually, I had enough presence of mind to still do that. So I'm like, mm, I don't think... I don't think we're very far here. <laughs> Anyways, she checked me again at about an hour later, and I was four centimeters. So I could be officially, quote unquote, admitted in the birth center. We didn't have to go back home. And I think at that point, my husband also kind of texted my doula because we were waiting to see whether we were going to be able to stay there if to have her come over. So she was going to be on her way. 
And I think at that point, my midwife said that I could try hopping in the shower until my doula got there. So I did that. They have a wonderful big shower in each of the birth suites and there's like room to move around. It was very nice. But I actually started getting, I don't know, sort of hot in there. And I think this is the part where I started to actually get into that like more internal because I... I could hear my husband and my midwife kind of talking to each other in the, in the birth suite. There's not an actual wall there. It's just like a curtain. Um, and for some reason that started really annoying me just <laughs> to hear them like just talking like normal, like they're just carrying on this normal conversation. Like there was just nothing going on. <laughs> I had some background music on too, that I thought was going to be something I would want. And it really annoyed me then too. So I told them to turn it off. <laughs> I just didn't want anything. I just, I felt like I had to focus. I would think that I had said certain things out loud, but it turns out like I had never actually said these things. So I was just kind of saying them to myself in my head. My doula got there, I think at around 9 p.m. And we started doing all kinds of different positions for labor. So I was just willing to try anything. So we were doing like lunges on a yoga mat. We're sitting on a birth ball. I, I was on my side, laying on my side with a peanut ball. We did like high knee lunges with like a leg up on like this big footstool. It was just anything. We switched it up a lot, which was good. Um, but I was very like just nauseous this whole time. And I thought I was going to throw up at any moment. So my poor husband had to keep holding this barf bag for me in case I threw up again. I don't That's think the I least did. he can do. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> just ready with this bag. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. 
Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. So at some point, I guess my midwife got concerned because my contractions were spacing out instead of getting closer together. So she suggested an herbal tincture that they use there to help kind of contractions get stronger and closer together. They kind of presented it to me really as like two different options because it was getting closer to midnight and they were worried about how tired I was already. So I was at the moment, I was like sitting backwards on the toilet and kind of resting my head down. But I didn't like it. It felt really uncomfortable. And then my doula just kind of appeared out of nowhere. I had kind of even forgotten she was there. And she said, we kind of have like two options right now. You can choose to take a drug to slow down your labor and let you rest, or you can take this herbal tincture to kind of help speed things up and get everything moving along. How Alice of Wonderland. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. <laughs> take this and grow. Take this and shrink. Yeah. But I do appreciate the either start it or stop it. Like Mm -hmm. something needs to change. I appreciate that aspect of it for sure. For sure. It was very clear. Like, and at that time it was really hard to like make a decision, but I was, I was just so tired, but I didn't really want to take drugs, any drugs for like rest really. I just wanted to get it over with. So I took the herbal tincture and I should mention too, the position of my baby was so in, in spinning babies talk, it was L-O-T, left occiput? Occiput. Occiput, yeah. So basically that meant his back was up against my left side and my hip, and then he was facing my right hip. And he'd been in that position forever, like probably since 30 weeks or something, and he wasn't moving. <laughs> um, I read up about that on spinning babies, and supposedly it was one of the better positions for things to be going into labor. So I was kind of hopeful about that because I had really, I really didn't want to have a posterior baby (laughs) in labor. Well, and you weren't feeling it on your back necessarily. It was just the contraction pattern was a little slowing down. Yeah. Yep. It was just kind of weird. So anyways, so they gave me that tincture. It was like probably around midnight. It didn't really take very long and things really did start to pick up. And we weren't, we still weren't doing any vaginal checks because I'd requested not to. This is definitely when I went into more of that labor land mind. I think it was it was good. I didn't know what how much time was really passing, but I would have probably freaked out if I knew how much. So I'm glad I didn't know. So I I asked to get in the tub, and I I do ha- I did get my notes from the midwife. So I have I have kind of timestamps on things. So this was around 1 a.m. early Monday morning when I got in the tub. 
And I wanted to kind of save that as a last resort. I was hoping to possibly give birth in there. They do water births at the birth center. And I thought it would be pretty relaxing. And it certainly was. Um, This is when I was kind of starting to vocalize more through contractions, kind of the low, low moans was really helping me whenever one would come, I would I would get on my hands and knees in the tub and put my forehead kind of on this towel on the side of it and just sway back and forth. I just remember doing that over and over and doing kind of the low moans. And that that was the best way for me to cope at that point. My doula would kind of help me bring things lower when I started getting higher. But um, my doula and my husband were kind of pouring like warm water over me with this this big cup like on my back (laughs) during contractions. And that felt so nice. When contractions were done, I would just lay down and rest basically on my side. And that was the best. The The rest between are just, that's just what made it possible for me to, to get through, which this did end up being transition for me in the, the tub, which was a lovely place to be for that. So you were in the tub, you had your ritual and rhythm going on of swaying and hands and knees, and people were pouring water on your back and it felt good. And you were resting in between. And then what happened? Oh, well, during that whole time, I was having craziest thoughts. So I thought, I am never doing this again. This is just, how did I, how did I ever think I could do this? How does anyone do this? This is way too hard. <laughs> I, had, I felt like I'd underestimated the intensity of it. But I also had a lot of very stubborn thoughts, like I am not transferring unless there is some medical reason to do it, I am not going to choose (laughs) to go to the hospital. So it's kind of a weird mix. (laughs) So I think I was in the tub about an hour. The contractions unfortunately did start spacing out again. So I did have another bit of the tincture. They wanted me to get out and try to go to the bathroom. So I did and I tried sitting on the toilet for a few contractions. It was, it was not very, I don't know, it wasn't very comfortable for me. I guess at that point, my midwife asked if she could go ahead and check me. Um, I was fine with that. I just didn't care at that point. I was so uncomfortable and exhausted. And I'm like, okay, let's maybe we'll find out some good news that things have progressed. So turns out I was nine and a half centimeters with an anterior cervical lip. So there was lots of progress. Yay. Mm -hmm. So relieved to hear that. The hardest part had kind of had just happened. Um, I wasn't totally overestimating things. (laughs) My midwife asked if she could try to hold back the the lip during a contraction. And she said it did slip back um, well over my son's head. So they wanted me to try to lay down with the peanut ball at that point. And I guess I did that for a little while. And then she checked again and I was 10 centimeters. I felt like I was feeling kind of some pressure, but... Honestly, now looking back, I think it was sort of wishful thinking <laughs> after just hearing the fact that I was 10 centimeters. So I did start kind of trying to push. Um, if I could change things, I wouldn't. I would I would not have started to try at that point. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But we tried lots of different positions for pushing. Um, there really wasn't progress happening, though. I could tell just by the way... <laughs> that they kind of looked at like my doula and my midwife would kind of look at each other like, hmm, this isn't, uh, it's not working. And this is where I guess you could say my kind of performance oriented brain kicked in. I started to feel like I wasn't doing a good job. I was failing. This is around 4am or so. 
And I don't know, we just kept trying different, different positions for pushing. We tried the birth stool. And this is where suddenly I realized that I sort of had an audience. So I had a birth photographer who I'd forgotten about (laughs) until then. And there was also a student doula at my birth watching. I had consented to allow her to come in and watch it. I had met the photographer once and I'd never met the student doula. I had never, I had not even noticed they were there until then. (laughs) I don't even know when they got there, but I saw them sitting way over by the door in chairs, like just sitting there watching. And I, the position of where the birth stool was, was like, I was faced directly towards them. And I felt so just conscious of myself all of a sudden. (laughs) I believe the thing about like the need for privacy during birth, just based on that experience, because there was just something in me at that moment that just closed up. Like, I think both like literally and figuratively, <laughs> I I felt like I don't want them to be there watching me, but I couldn't say anything. I I just didn't. I didn't feel like I was capable of saying something at that moment. Hmm. <laughs> it was very strange. <laughs> All these thoughts in your head. Yeah. And they just weren't coming out. <laughs> yeah. So I had that, you know, and now I have this in my head and in that labor land brain, I heard my doula saying, should we try Walchers? And they said, well, if she's willing to try it. So I had never heard of this before, but Walchers is something that's not a pushing position. It's a position to help open the brim of the pelvis. So my baby was still very high up and this was supposed to help him move down. I think it's from spinning babies or at least they kind of promote it. So have you, have you ever heard of it? Yeah, I've heard of it. I've tried to do it during births. Yeah. So it comes from an obstetric, you know, like most obstetric maneuvers from somebody's last name. And okay. it's about trying to get the head into the pelvic opening, into the like down underneath the rim at the top when babies are very, very high. But you did it so you can describe what that looks like because it's really it's a weird position. It's so weird. <laughs> so I was I would I lay it off the end of the bed with my legs off the side and with this like giant towel roll under my like lower back. And right, and I your was, legs are dangling. Yes, off the end of the the bed. So I was supposed to stay like that through three contractions without moving. <sighs> so I agreed I would try. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable, but I was willing to try anything to get him engaged in there lower. So I got arranged like that. I made it through the three contractions, just taking it one at a time. Then I got kind of confused, and I thought someone would tell me when it was time to move out of the position. So I just kind of stayed there and kept writing it out (laughs) through contractions. And I guess at some point I either said something or just started moving away. Like they said afterwards, they told me they've never seen somebody stay in that position that long. (laughs) So the only reason I did it was because I was, I just wanted pushing to be over. They kept trying to get me to eat, but I just, I couldn't, I felt like I was just going to throw up anything. So I, I wouldn't, uh, so I was just really getting exhausted at this point. The contractions were spacing out again, seemed to be less strong. I just wasn't making any progress, really. It felt like the baby was just never going to come out. I just felt like he was just stuck in there <laughs> forever. At 5.30 a.m., my midwife decided we were just going to take uh, an hour-long break, and we would get back to pushing after that. Everybody was so exhausted. It was a long night. 
So everybody went out to take a nap and they helped me and my husband get in the bed and we were sort of spooning in the bed. I thought the idea of like a nap sounded so good until I realized I was, you know, still going to be having contractions (laughs) and I just couldn't lay there. I tried so hard, but I made it maybe half an hour before I felt like I just had to get out of the bed and I actually felt like I had to go to the bathroom, like I had to poop. So I got up and went to sit on the toilet. I didn't actually go, but I think at that at that point, I was finally able to tell my husband that I really, I needed to have the photographer and the student doula not come back into the room. And he told my doula and she kind of relayed that message. So I finally was able to, I don't know, realize that that was important, I guess, for me to be able to feel like I could push out the baby without having an audience or something. And good for you for, you know, finding that voice and advocating for yourself because that's, it's hard to do. Yes, it is. I didn't know how hard it would be during that time, but it was. So I I started pushing in the bed on my left side, my right side, and now I could tell that progress was happening. So I think he had had some time to basically, I don't know, maybe it was kind of that quietude that the one lady talked about in your podcast. Yeah, Wabio, <laughs> and I'll link it to the, yes. the show notes in her holistic stages of birth, which I love. And you know, and I'm going to link also the the rethinking pushing stage, because I think part of it is understanding that baby and uterus work together. And it's just not not just about the cervix opening up, mm-hmm. but actually the lower uterine segment after it opens up, pulling up to release the head so that it can more easily rotate. And yeah. and so if you know, it's hard to back to the the this idea of like you want to have things happen, but maybe the best thing to do is rest. And knowing that when you did rest and everybody laid down and then nobody was telling you to push and you were just letting your body do its thing and you were lying down, then the baby had like that space without external force other than the uterus, which is calming down and giving slowing down and giving less strength, right? Giving baby ideally more time to rotate and get into a better position so that then when that intensity came back and when you pushed, then you could feel that, okay, this is actually making change. Yeah. I think that was, that allowed that to happen at that point, which was so good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They got me to finally eat some honey at that point. And, and that was like the most delicious thing I'd ever eaten. And I really started to feel like I did have more energy all of a sudden Um, I was pushing then on my, like, in kind of a semi-sitting position on the bed. And I never really thought that that's how I would want to push. But this was the best way at this point because I was so tired. I was holding my legs behind my thighs. And my husband and Dula each were holding a leg. And I felt like that was the only way I could get, like, any traction at that point. And I think this is when my, my baby finally rotated from my left side and my hip to be anterior because my left hip just started cramping so bad (laughs) during it. And after each contraction, I was trying to massage it during the contractions. It just, it hurt so bad. I wasn't saying anything about it, I think, but I was thinking, why isn't anybody helping me with this hip? It hurts so terribly, but things started happening then because I think he did move at eight 30, the next midwife who was coming on call, she came in to assist and I don't remember seeing her come in, but I just remember hearing her voice. She was like a breath of fresh air in that room. She had actually had a night's sleep. Um, she was also the midwife I'd really clicked the most with and her presence was just so wonderful in the room. I just felt 
I just felt so kind of relieved, I guess, that she was there. And it was like probably shortly after that, that he started crowning. I remember feeling like the ring of fire, like the, I was like, this has to be it. But I didn't care about how it felt. I just was so relieved knowing that that meant that I was almost done. <laughs> and he, each push just felt like I couldn't do another one, but I just kept going. He was born at 9, 10 a.m. And my midwife put him on my lower stomach. They thought the cord was short, <laughs> so I couldn't really see him. But I felt him there and it felt so amazing. We just, my husband and I just both started crying from relief and our baby wasn't really crying. I just kept asking the doula, is he okay? And she said, yes, he's fine. He had really, he had started breathing really soon after coming out, but he just was, he was very calm. I think it was partly because of the environment that he was born into. It was just so peaceful in there with the lights being dimmed, quiet voices of these, this small number of people. And they they realized then that the cord was actually long, really long, but it was kind of like stuck in there somewhat. And he got put up higher on my chest at that point. I was able to kind of look into his eyes and he just seemed so familiar somehow, even though I was just meeting him. It was it was really cool. <laughs> Yay. So oh, that must have felt like so incredible that you were also done. <laughs> yeah, I was so relieved. <laughs> We were just kind of admiring our baby and I wasn't taking any notice of anything else that was going on. I was just in like, just complete la la ecstasy birth high. And suddenly I hear my midwife say, oh, you have to cut the cord now and we're going to give you a shot of Pitocin. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was a little confused because I had really wanted delayed cord clamping. And that was, that is the standard of care there at the birth center. They do that automatically, but I kind of, I was just trusting that my midwives were going to do whatever they needed to do. So I barely felt the shot. The cord was cut about three minutes after he was born. So it wasn't immediately or anything. And then after a couple minute, more minutes, they told me that I just needed to push the placenta out right then. So it's like, oh, okay. She said, it's right here. She felt it. It was detached and you just have to push it now. So <laughs> like, okay, I'll, I'll try. I pushed twice and the whole thing just came right out intact, no trouble. So that was a major blessing. She, the midwife was then doing the fundal massage and everything was under control within the first 20 minutes. It was a kind of a minor, minor hemorrhage, I guess, um, that we didn't have to transfer at all or anything. I was so, so glad that we didn't have to. I trusted that they, the midwife team would know how to handle that. We had talked about it before, even at a prenatal visit, their process and how they they handle those things and they would transfer if it was necessary, but I just trusted them so much. I didn't even feel scared, which is now looking back. That's so amazing. I was just, I had so much confidence in my team. And uh, I mean, I wish everybody had that amount of confidence and everything went as smooth as it did for you, obviously. And, and the, the bleeding sort of got into control after just after when the placenta came out and when you, and you had the shot of Pitocin. So you didn't really yes. need, Anything else at, more than that? No. Yeah. One of the things about hemorrhaging is that I really appreciate is that they have so many different steps they can do and contingencies. So it's one of those things that can be scary, but if it's happening, they've got like, okay, let's try this. Okay, now we have to try this. Okay, now we try this. And, and lots of step even before transferring. Yes. Yeah. They're, it, it's amazing. They have all their processes worked out like that. They know what they're doing. 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Definitely. But now looking back at it, are you feeling like anything you would do differently? Anything that really helped and you were like so happy about? How are you feeling about the whole experience now? Oh, wow. Um, I, I feel really good about it. I didn't feel so good about it. I think right afterwards, I felt sort of like, I like I was confused about why, why my contractions started spacing out so much, I guess, and about the long pushing stage. But I don't know, really thinking about it more and having more time. I think as parents, we do this about so many things that we kind of judge ourselves around it. So not even just how our birth goes, but things like breastfeeding and how the baby sleeps. <laughs> but I think really it comes to being just accepting it. So kind of radical acceptance of how things did go down for us. And I'm still kind of working out on getting to it, but working on it. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get everything quote unquote, right. <laughs> and there are some things we have choices about and we have control over, but then there are things that are out of our control that are beyond our control. But I think it's just about, for me as a new parent, it's about working to release and surrender the things that I can't control. Yes, I can do research. I can learn about things. I can make choices, inform choices that I believe are the best for me, and my family. But at, then at a certain point, it is about surrender. Yeah, so much. And that's almost a harder thing to do, right? Because we want to control everything and have yeah. it just right. Because that's what we do with our lives all the time. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that I try to do with my doula clients in that aspect is, yes, we do a birth plan. But more than just focus on the birth plan, we also do sort of birth wishes. And, and, mm -hmm. and I have a little handout of how you want to feel Yeah. during the experience because that's I mean you can't control anything else but you can control how you show up so knowing how you want to feel in it I mean because you can feel really confident whether it's a non-medicated vaginal birth or a cesarean right we can yes you can't control the circumstances but you can control how you feel and we talk about what if things aren't going the way you'd like what are some things we can do to try to help you feel that way so we work on those sort of emotional coping mechanisms as well as the physical coping mechanisms. Yeah, I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah, because it requires, it's so hard, but it requires that flexibility and surrender and just, you're just there for the ride. You got to turn off and go with the ride. Yeah, and parenting is like that too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how was uh, your immediate postpartum um pretty good my son nursed within i think like the first half hour or so after birth and he just he was kind of just a champ nurser from the start he latched on right away and oh i should mention that he uh, everyone thought he looked huge the consensus was kind of like oh he's got to be more than nine pounds well <laughs> not quite he ended up being eight pounds ten ounces but what made him look bigger was the fact that he was 22 inches long. So he was just really long and he had kind of a big head. <laughs> so that made me feel a little better about yeah. the whole the whole thing. It's kind of a big, big first baby. That is a long baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's long and lean. Yeah. We went home from the birth center about nine hours later. And normally they would send people back maybe around four to six hours later, but they just kind of wanted to watch me a little longer just because the the hemorrhage and stuff. So yeah, we went home. Um, we were home that, that same night, that Monday night. 
my mom came and stayed with us and she was basically kind of like my postpartum doula. So she made all our food. She kind of kept the house up for us. And I just, my job was, you know, nursing the baby, <laughs> which is, is your job at that point. And it was just nice to not have to worry about the other stuff. And yeah, we, we hung out. My doula came over and encapsulated my placenta in our house. And I had a visit from the IBCLC that I had planned. I had her come over three on like day three. So it was the Wednesday. He was born on the Monday and she came on the Wednesday just to kind of do the weight feeding, see how things were going with breastfeeding. Um, and that gave me, <laughs> doing that gave me a lot of confidence. I think I was hoping that it seemed like things were going well as far as the latch and the suck, but it was nice to see that. Yes, indeed, this is going well. Um, and that was one of the things I, I think I, I didn't expect, but I just really love and treasure our, our nursing relationship. It's one of the more unexpected, wonderful things about, for me, about becoming a mother. Mm. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to make sure the listeners know or something that you wanted to get to that we've left out? Yeah, I think the main thing I would tell them is don't underestimate the importance of the decision that you make about your care provider and where you're going to give birth. That decision, that single decision really can impact your options in a lot of different ways that I never realized. But fortunately, I saw that I did have other options. So my doula helped me with that. So side note, get a doula <laughs> because they'll support you and your decision-making process. And I really believe that my birth outcomes might have been very different if I wasn't at the birth center. If I was at the hospital with an OB, for example, I think there might not have been as much patience with the long pushing stage and more pressure to allow interventions. So I'm so thankful for the patience of the midwives. They trusted the process of birth. They ultimately trusted me and my body and my baby to do what we needed to do. So I guess I would say just make sure you know all of your options when it comes to care providers Think about your wishes and your values and then choose your provider based on that. So not just um, necessarily just defaulting to whoever your gynecologist or provider has been even for years or maybe even somebody a friend recommended, but listen to your gut. If something doesn't seem quite right, don't be afraid to make the switch. Part of why I switched was I remembered something that the OB that I was with at the time had said when I was interviewing her. She said, I asked her about what she does with inductions, does she recommend them when? And her response basically was, well, nothing good happens after 41 weeks. <laughs> and I didn't really like that particular response. Do you turn into a, <laughs> a gremlin? What? <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> after midnight, don't eat. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Something just didn't sit well with me about that once I was pregnant. <laughs> yeah, it's those red flags. <laughs> yeah. It can be hard to switch. I Sometimes we worry about how, maybe even how that person feels about it, but really they're in a business and they're not going to think about it beyond the fact that they've maybe lost a client or a patient. But if your gut's telling you that your current provider isn't lining up with your values, I would just tell you to listen. Your provider needs to line up with your values and not the other way around. <laughs> this is going to be huge. That's so huge. I think even throughout all of parenthood, just getting in touch with your intuition and listening to it now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and yeah. you are the expert on your body, yourself, your baby. They are experts in, in their field, but you are the expert in you. So that yeah. is just as valid. Yes. The other thing I would say is 
to truly prepare for breastfeeding as much as you prepare for a birth. I took your Thrive With Your Newborn course, and one of the things what, that you had said in there was to get the IBCLC on speed dial before the birth. And I, and I did that. I, I followed through on that, and I'm so glad that I did. Getting a support team for breastfeeding is you do that just like preparing your birth team. So I'd recommend interviewing or like looking into different IBCLCs and meet them if possible while you're still pregnant. See if you click with them just like you would with a, a care provider. And I think we, I think you say this in some of your other episodes, but we tend to think that breastfeeding is because it's natural, it'll just happen, but it's not easy for anyone. So I think it's important to get the IBCLC lined up ahead of time <laughs> Get them in your phone so you're not searching for an IBCLC on day three after the birth when you're like super duper emotional on that roller coaster. <laughs> just get them in place and and just have them on your team. Have them ready to go. They can support you then. Yeah, so much, so much. And I, I love the, the, the concept that, you know what also is natural? Walking is natural. <laughs> Yeah. But how many times do babies fall down before they actually take those solid steps, right? You got to keep yeah. practicing and learning and stuff. So that was that was an eye-opening ana analogy. And I'm so glad you took the Thrive with your newborn course. Now it makes yes. sense that you're, you know, you had your mom set up and you had all the things like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, that mm -hmm. helped." <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah, I forgot to mention that before, but that was very helpful. I'm so glad I took it. No, oh, well, I'm glad it was there for you. Oh, love it. Heather, thank you so very much for sharing your story. This has been lots of fun. Yes, thank you so much. This has been great. That was freelance writer and editor Heather Lauf. Heather is now mom to three boys, with the last one being born during a home water birth, where Heather got to catch her own baby for the first time. What a journey. Big congratulations to her and her family. You can connect with us at birthfulpodcast on Instagram. And in fact, if you're not driving, we would just so love it if you take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to Instagram, sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode. Maybe it was learning about the tests to confirm that your amniotic sac has ruptured. Whatever it is, make sure to tag at birthfulpodcast on your story so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plotty. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on Good Pods, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and just everywhere you listen. And then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. <laughs>